episode 974, Bond, James Bond, the Fleming era. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Ben Anderson. And I'm Ben DeVore. Can I say how excited I am for No Time to Die? You know, I, I was thinking about you this week as I was preparing the news for the last episode, and I didn't cover this, but there was some Mission Impossible news that right. they finished filming Mission Impossible 7. And I was thinking, it's so strange. Like We, we have, you just experienced the, that series for the first time in the last year. Which is great. James yeah. Bond in the last year. And I don't know, because I think I'm just used to you not liking popular franchises. See, I'm more, I'm more complex than you know. Yeah, and so those two you love, especially James Bond, it feels like. Like, you like James Bond much, much more than me by so, a long so shot. now the fact that I, I have pop culture I like, that should cause you to think much more seriously about my critiques of other pop culture. Because it's not just been against pop culture. Yeah. Like if the MCU Although, was oh, good, that'd be such a good podcast title. <laughs> if we had a side podcast, it's like called the, the ben opposite against... of stuff Ben doesn't like. Yes, that we should just think if there's something there, or is that basically the sci-fi Christian? I mean, well, uh, it could but... be like we bring on a, a guest to try and defend something, and I just pummel them. <laughs> <laughs> so a quick story on that. So I, I, uh, my my oldest daughter, we homeschool her kids, and my oldest daughter's doing like a homeschool co-op thing. Uh, a few days a week, she's in seventh grade, and so she has another girl her age who's uh, riding with us in the morning. So I, I take them on Mondays and Tuesdays because they have to be there at eight, and it's on my way to work, uh, and it's great. So they're in the back seat of my car yesterday as I'm driving them to school, and they're talking about movies. Oh, I like Star Wars. Oh, I like Star Wars. And then her friend says, especially the new ones. Oh, no. Uh, don't drive off the road. Did you speak up or did you just let it be? Uh, then, I, then I heard the next thing out of her mouth was number nine is my favorite. Oh. I was like, get out of the car, child. I don't care that we're going 70 <laughs> miles down the interstate. Get out. Wow. That's that's a that's an aggressively terrible yeah. opinion, even for a 12 year old. <laughs> that's, that's an aggressively terrible opinion. I am kind of interested with my own kids. I've let them watch the original trilogy and, and not the others yet. Yeah, and I'm wondering, what will they think about the original, or sorry, the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy? Are they going to... Uh, Why would you ever let them watch it? So, Are you literally saying you're never going to let your kids watch it? Yeah. I will let mine watch it. They're welcome to do that when they're an adult. They can make their own poor choices. <laughs> but why? why would I spend time showing them trash? I'm so excited. I I never thought about this either before, but I'm excited for as our kids get older and just to see what you're like as a a parent of an adult. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun, right? I hope that we stay friends. I, and keep I am on looking forward to being a parent of an adult. Are you? I mean, I like my kids at, at all yeah. the ages, but yeah, I mean, there's things you just like books you can't like. My 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 daughter is she'll be 13 in, in two weeks from tomorrow, and so she's at that age where she's now starting to read stuff like she's she's reading Dune for the second time. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of fun because yeah. now it's like, you know, there's some good kids books that they can read like Narnia and everything, but there's a lot of trash. You know how you're hard on me about yeah. things I watch and read. Well, mostly watch. Would you? Are you? similar to them or you how do you navigate that as a I mean, parent yeah you don't want to it's like they're kids so you got to be gentle you know I'm, I'm not gonna take it out on them that they they 
think Harry Potter is the greatest thing ever. Like Harry Potter's fine. I have nothing against Harry Potter, but it's not it's not the second coming of of Jesus or anything. Although he is kind of a messiah figure, yeah, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it it almost is like the whole, maybe the, uh, I don't want to get too far down this because this could actually be in its own episode, but we've talked about curation. Mm-hmm. Like, I think curating for your kids is is one of the my favorite parts of being a parent, which is why they won't be being, like, I'm not forbidding them, if I was to answer it seriously, I'm not forbidding them from watching the prequels. It's not like they watch the prequels and I'm like, you watched What? grounded for a week we don't we don't use those movies here no but it's like okay in my role as a curator that's not something i will curate for them that would be a good yeah that would be a good episode curating for kids yeah all right let's come back to that uh well one last thing before we get to ian fleming today as we're recording is september 14th 2021 as you mentioned uh your oldest daughter's age i was thinking back to when i first met you she's a baby and i don't know if you saw this on facebook today I posted something on your on your page. Yeah, you I, I saw. Today, listeners, well, it was on this date 12 years ago that Ben and I became friends on Facebook, which means, I mean, there's a good chance we may have met on this day. I don't, because, you know, it's back possible. in the old days, you basically meet people, friend them on Facebook. So it's I would true. say there's a good chance you and I met 12 years ago today in the, or at least around this time. I'd say in the last few days. But maybe even today. Maybe. I don't know what our anniversary of knowing each other is, but it may be September 14th. And that's pretty cool. So happy 12 years of Facebook friendship. And now let's talk about Ian Fleming. All right, let's do it. So today's uh, episode for the Bond series is on the Ian Fleming novels. Now you might think, okay, this is like the grand finale. It's actually not, believe it or not. And I don't just mean because we have no time to die coming up. But there are, in addition to lots of movies, there's tons of continuation novels out there. And it tends to be that you've had one author who has written like Bond novels for 10, 15 year runs. So it almost, it actually fits very well for our series because like, we can do like the John Gardner. Are you planning to do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So you're, wow. So you've read, you've now finished all of Ian Fleming's. I've read all of Ian Fleming's Bond books. And how soon are you planning to get on to the next ones? I don't know. Uh, soonish. I, I mean, like, I have a lot I'm trying to finish. Uh, other reading i'm doing right now so it might not be in the next month or two but uh, hopefully this year wow i didn't know that that's great I'll, then, I'll love to cover that on the show with you and then there's also the several bond novels were adopt adapted into a daily comic strip in the newspaper and so there's collected editions of those as okay. well are so, you planning to go that yeah, route too yeah. so you well what about when you get to modern comics that still do james bond are you planning no, to do the no, full okay no well, not yet, anyway. Okay. And I'm also, I don't have any interest in young James Bond or any of that nonsense. Did you, as a kid, watch James Bond Jr.? No. The cartoon? I probably wasn't allowed to because my parents are fairly strict and, and you know, James Bond Jr. should be keeping his pants on, but Lord knows if there's one kid you couldn't trust to do that. Uh, James Bond Jr. is my first exposure to James Bond. I'm just checking it out here. It looks like it was, well, I'm trying to find out what year it came out. Uh. This might not be the best no, use of our time right now. No, let's continue on. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that if needed. Right. So what I wanted to do is, I th- I always lose count. I think there's 15 total Fleming books. And I say books because that's 13 novels and then two collections of short stories. I know you've read at least the first one, which Only. is, of course, Casino Royale. Only the first one. Okay. So what's what's interesting is, as, I, as we go through this, I want to kind of go through them in order. And it's interesting how similar some are to the books. And then how, or excuse me, to the movies, and then how radically different some are. So you have this range from 
almost a complete adaptation, like Casino Royale, and I'm comparing to the Daniel Craig one, not the not the uh, uh, 1960s nonsense, which is, of course, very different. Uh, very, very similar. Uh, I should say the Daniel Craig one has, you know, the first hour is not the novel, but everything from when they get to the casino on is extraordinarily similar to the book. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have stuff that literally shares the title only mm-hmm. and has nothing in comparison. So we'll talk through them on that way. And then also, there's some sequences in one novel that show up in a different movie. And so oh. there's kind of this weird mix and match. And then the other thing to, to note as we're going through here is that the order of the books is a little bit different than the movies. And of course, there's cases where this doesn't matter, like... um Live and Let Die is the second book. And, of course, you have, you know, all these other movies before then. Uh, that doesn't matter. You know, Live and Let Die is a fairly independent adventure, both in film and novel form. But in cases like Dr. No and From Russia with Love, of course, Dr. No is the first Bond movie. And in From Russia with Love, part of the impetus there is Spectre wants to kill Bond because of what he did in Dr. No. The order of those is flipped. And so I'll talk through that. Same mm-hmm. thing as we get into the Spectre trilogy later on. Um, so let's just dive in, and I'll, I'll kind of share my thoughts right. al- along the way. And you can also, for Casino Royale, and then I guess uh, well, I gonna... you can turn on your listening yeah, ears. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've read this one. Yes. The first Fleming novel. Mm-hmm. Have you had any desire to read others beyond oh, yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. I gave it four and a half. Really enjoyed it. Uh, but like you said... Uh, I was surprised by how closely it very, followed very close. that Daniel Craig story. Um, uh, let's see, I you know I think I had I was under the impression before reading that book that the films, again, kind of what you're saying, mildly reflected right. what was found in the books, but this one, I mean, very closely. So I guess I am interested to read on like you. Uh, you had this journey going. When did you start Casino Royale? Oh, a couple of years ago. So you've been on this journey for a while. Ever since you've been... I'd say most... I read, or I should say listen to, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, because I do have a strong recommendation there. Um, but I listened to most of the books this year. Okay. I'd say the two I had read prior to, the, say, the last 12 months were Casino Royale and Live and Let Die. So I've been interested in doing the same thing you're doing, but I think there's just so many things on my plate uh, when it comes to books I'd like to get to. I put this one aside. I'm definitely interested. So they're nice palate cleansers, though, for audiobooks because they're very short. Okay. Like they're seven, eight hours in that range. So if you're listening to something, like I know you're going to listen to uh, All the King's Men and Mm -hmm. you're going to listen to um, Invisible Man, and those are both, I think, 20 hours plus. Okay. For me, sometimes it's nice to just throw on a seven hour quick listen oh yeah that makes sense and get through yeah you know, i like then that so they can be nice palate cleansers so, as well so i'm totally interested and the nice thing is because this one follows so closely to a film i'm very familiar with i feel like i could jump back in easily and totally. then i then i'd probably have to stick with it pretty closely instead like in the sense of stay on on mission if i right, am going to 007 exactly <laughs> but, you know speak of 007 i have this memory of thinking this version of Bond, the book version, was so good at his job, it made me like him better as a protagonist, whereas I, I've had my complaints hey. about the film version. I, I feel like the book version is probably the best Bond I've experienced. Yeah, and it's interesting because people, you know, will discuss how, how cl- you know, who's the closest Bond to the book. 
And the the names that get thrown out, of course, are uh, Daniel Craig, and, and I think a big part of that is Casino Royale because we're he it literally is the mm-hmm. adaptation of the book. And Timothy Dalton to some extent, although I think he he's a failed Bond in his second um, you know, License to Kill is a, not a good movie. Uh, and sometimes Sean Connery, you know, people don't claim that as much about uh, Roger Moore, though we love you, Roger. Uh, but like the thing is. The thing is, it's both true and not true. Like, yes, if you were to say who's the closest Bond to the book, probably Daniel Craig. But it's a 15-book series, so Bond changes, and he's not the same man he was in, um, you know, Casino Royale as you go on. And, and like, especially uh, George Lazenby, for, as, as an actor, the worst Bond, but he does a really competent job bringing to life Bond's griefing on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and and it's a brilliant adaptation. And so, like, well, okay, that that moment of Bond's wife dying, we're obviously spoilers for <laughs> the Bond series, uh, is so perfectly captured by Lazenby that could you make an argument that he's the closest to the book? Well, that moment, yes, yes, he is. And so it it's there's not a monolithic Bond, mm-hmm. and you can certainly see like each actor emphasizes different parts of the bond persona uh, and and they depending on what you're focusing on it can seem closer or farther from fleming's bond so is tracy bond in the books uh, yes okay i'm, I'm excited we'll, to hear we'll, about we'll get that. there all right we'll get there so yeah casino royale like we've, we've t- said many times now very close to the movie including uh, oddly enough the the time jump because casino royale takes place in present day you know 2005 2006 so uh, about 50 years after the book is not, is written. But besides that, uh, it's shockingly close. Like you don't, if you think about that movie, there's not a ton of a big role technology plays, mm-hmm. certainly not in the second half of that when, from the time they get to the casino on. And everything from Vesper's betrayal to her death and all of that, it doesn't play out exactly like in the, in the movie, but it's very, very close. And not just close in terms of plot points, but also close in terms of the character development. It's Bond's first mission. It's it's all of that. It, and it sets the role, you know, Vesper Lynn becomes the archetypal Bond girl, not only for the series, but also for the character. And that's part of what I love about you know, both the book and the movie of Casino Royale is that it captures this sense of Bond is so damaged by the end of this that suddenly it gives a context to his womanizing and everything else throughout the rest of of the series. And that definitely comes across uh, in the Fleming novel as well. So huge fan of Casino Royale. Uh, Live and Let Die is similar-ish. I'd put this one, like if we were to write similarity book to movie, I, I'd probably put Casino Royale to like a four and a half out of five, if only because, you know, the, that first hour isn't in the book. And mm-hmm. so we, we really only pick it up from when Bond arrives at the casino. So you have some differences. Uh, Live and Let Die is probably about a three. Um, you know, I'd say that it's, I kind of feel about the book and the way I, f- I felt about the movie, which is that it's fine. It doesn't, it's not my favorite Bond story or my least favorite. It's just like right in the middle for me as far as quality. Uh, in the movie, uh, isn't that where he faces off against Voodoo? Yes. And so it, Baron Samdi and all of that is, is in the that, book. Okay. Yes. Um, 
I will say if, you know, there's certain racial components of James Bond that haven't ra- aged well and uh, Live and Let Die is, is chief among them, um, there's, there, there's some... And I'm not going to say the word, of course, but there's some flower that in like the Caribbean that that Ian Fleming has a very interesting way of describing, uh, and it involves a very bad word, and, <laughs> and just like I don't know what he's talking about, and I'm afraid to Google it. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe incognito mode is called for on that one. Um, but it, yeah, so Live and Let Die, uh, fairly similar. Interestingly, Live and Let Die in the book has a sequence, a, a set piece towards the end where Bond is being um, towed behind a boat. He's been captured. He's being towed behind a boat through shark-infested water and everything. That sequence actually appears in For Your Eyes Only. And so they tow- this is one of those cases where you'll see them, especially in the later Bond movies or the middle Bond movies, once they've adapted all the novels, they're now looking for pieces. And they're, they're taking them and they're saying, okay, let's... Uh, you know, we're going to cut this, but this was in Live and Let Die, the book, but we're going to use it over here in For Your Eyes Only. And you'll see interesting cases like that. And this was an early example of that. Okay. It is kind of weird. Yeah. it's. I mean, I can see why they would do it with this type of character and these types of stories, but you can imagine now 25. Is that how many movies are into this? Yep. This will be Bond 25. Scouring through the books to see what type of scene haven't we used yet. I, I don't know that they're doing that so much anymore, but... Yeah. There was a time. Moonraker, the infamous, uh, for many people, not me, though it is close to the bottom, one, the worst James Bond. I think it's my least favorite. It, 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 I mean, you know, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> that opinion. I think the first half is better than the second. But infamously, James Bond goes to space. Uh, famously was supposed to be uh, not adapted when it was at the end of uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. You see James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. Oh, yeah. Uh, he did not because a little movie called Star Wars came out, and so they decided to make Star Wars James Bond. Um, and so this is infamously one of the worst James Bond movies. It's almost universally agreed this is the best Bond novel. Believe it or not. Wow. Yes. It is wow. phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. I'm very surprised. So the main villain is the same, Hugo Drax, but almost everything else is different. So there's no going into space or anything. The Moonraker is not a space laser. It's a missile. And so what plays out in the novel are these ex-Nazis who have infiltrated this British missile program. It is just a fantastic book. Like, this is the one where I I listened to it before I, I watched the movie. And I was like, how can this be a terrible movie? This yeah. is so good. It's so good. So literally what they did is, you talk about similarities, it's like a one and a half out of five in terms of their similarities. They they took the title, they took some character names and some minor plots like Hugo Drex is this, there's a few things in the movie that are similar. I think there's a setup where M catches Hugo Drex cheating and that's at their, their club. Um uh, and that's what kind of tips him off that there was something off about this guy. That's directly from the book. Okay. So there's some setup things there early on that are similar, but just the, they, they literally saw the word moon and said, that's the Bond book to make Bond Star Wars on. That's actually what happened. Wow. What about Jaws? Jaws is not in this. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to Jaws later when we get to Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. Uh, Jaws is an interesting case in, in this, but no, no Jaws. 
nothing like that outside of the the things I mentioned and a few other points. There's nothing in common with this. I happened to just so I can follow along. I loaded up the Ian Fleming book order, and you're not making note of this, but he's got it looks like one movie coming out, or sorry, one book coming out per year. Yeah, and even sometimes twice a year. I mean, they're fairly short books, yeah. and and um, he was sitting at his Caribbean home. Which do you know the name? This is a nice piece of Bond trivia for everybody out there. What is the name of? Uh, Ian Fleming's Caribbean estate where he wrote most of the novels. I you know I think I know this. I'm going to make a guess. I might be wrong. Is it Skyfall? No. Okay, what it's is it? Goldeneye. Okay. So Goldeneye is the name of his, I think it was Jamaican in okay. Jamaica, his, his estate where he wrote the novels. Okay. All right. Uh, Diamonds are forever. Unfortunately, this was fairly similar to uh, the movie. So Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas, diamond smuggling. Uh, Blofeld is not in the book. So one piece to note about the opening uh, is that when he's, no, he's in, the, in opening. the opening, but then he's also the main villain later okay. on in the movie. Uh, Blofeld, of course, and Spectre don't exist at this point. Okay. So because remember, and we talked about this in the other episodes, but I'll recap it briefly here. Spectre only exists because the first script that was ever written was Thunderball. And that's why. Eos eventually lost the rights to Spectre because that, and I forget the guy's name, um, Kevin something or other, he he eventually sued them for the rights to Spectre and Blofeld. But Spectre doesn't doesn't exist at this point. Uh, Fleming took the, the script to uh, Thunderball and turned it into a novel, and that's where all this legal contention came from okay. because he was accused of plagiarism and all of this. And, you know, there's various... It's it's a murky situation, but yeah, it was probably a bit shady of him. Uh, even as we're we're going to get into things like Doctor No and and From Russia with Love in a, a little bit, neither of those contained Spectre, which sounds weird if you've seen the movies because they're like the Spectre movies. No, they contained Smirch, which is the historical Russian Soviet secret service. The reason that Fleming pushed for getting away from Smirch when they started to adapt the movies is that he believed the Cold War was about to end and and his books would stop being relevant. Mm. And so it, Spectre becomes the stand-in. So a smirch like what we think of as the KGB? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know wholly what the whole okay. historical relationship between them is, but similar. Okay. So, yeah, Blofeld doesn't exist and Spectre doesn't exist and all of that's quite different. But Diamonds Are Forever, not a great movie. And and honestly, one of the weaker novels, if not the weakest. It's it's not terrible. I, again, similar to Live and Let Die, kind of feel like I do about the movie. I don't hate it, but it doesn't exactly get you you know too excited okay. at this point. So the series is a little bit up and down at this point. Two phenomenal books and two good but not great. I bet. I'm just guessing. I can see where the next book is. I bet you love this book. Yeah, so the next book... And this is where we start to go out of order from Russia with love. And this is a perfect tag along to what I was just describing, because in this book, Spectre or in the movie, Spectre is trying to assassinate uh, James Bond. Um, in this book, Smirsh is trying to assassinate James Bond. So very similar plots, very, very similar, right down to the assassin who is played by uh, what's his name? The, the guy from Jaws. Uh I, I don't rec recall his name at the moment, but it, right right down to that very, very, very similar plot, um, but is Smirsh instead of Spectre. And yes, this is a really, really good book. Also significant is that 
in the movie, and I alluded to this earlier, the impetus for Spectre wanting to assassinate Bond is what he did uh, with Dr. Noah taking out a Spectre agent in the first movie. Here the impetus is Smirsh is just wanting to make an embarrassment of the British Secret Service, and they've had run-ins with Bond, so they select him. So this is, again, this, this subtle divergence mm-hmm. where Dr. No hasn't happened yet. You know, the it plays out in a different way. One thing that you will probably like, because you don't like the way so many Bond movies end with him in a boat with a woman. Yeah. Uh, if you recall in the movie, uh, towards the end, uh, not Irma Blunt, uh, that's the, the girl in uh, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I forget the, the name of uh, the, the female villain in From Russia With Love, but she comes into Bond's hotel room where he's with the girl, and she he, he she's trying to kill him. She's got, like, this knife in her boot and everything. She actually almost succeeds in the book, and Bond gets poisoned, and the the, the book ends on a cliffhanger with Bond on his deathbed, essentially. Wow, really? No boats with girls. It ends on a cliffhanger. Well, and in case listeners are, are haven't caught up on our movie reviews, I just think it's silly that so many Bond movies end the exact same way, which is him in a boat with a woman. Uh, not, if it was just one time, I wouldn't have even thought anything of it. But... So does this happen in the books too? Does he does he end up in a boat with a woman? I mean, sometimes, uh, you know. Not every book, though. Not every book. Okay. Sometimes he ends up almost dead, <laughs> like this one. <laughs> so Doctor No, then this is where it's the next book. This is where it becomes really interesting because Doctor No, of course, takes place in the Caribbean, uh, Jamaica, and in the books, M is trying to give Bond an easy mission to help him recuperate after. After his near-death experience. Okay. And that's where all of this plays out. And, of course, the movies, he's just, he's on the mission and there's nothing significant about it in that that sense one way or the other. Uh, But in the book, very, very similar in terms of the plot. Um, Of course, Dr. No is not a Spectre agent. He is aligned with Smirsh. And so you can see where they basically just kind of went through the plot, did a find and replace on Smirsh Mm -hmm. for Spectre. Um, you know, every now and then in the first couple movies, you do get that scene where you don't see Blofeld's face and he's not even named yet, but he's the unknown number one of Spectre. Mm-hmm. You don't really get any of those in, in the books, uh, but proceeds fairly similarly. You know, I had this theory when I first saw Dr. No that possibly uh, before you see Blofeld, I thought, well, this, this character who's in the shadows sounds like Bond and we never see him. Could it be an evil twin? So I wanted to ask you in the books, is there any hint? Of a potential evil twin, uh, not even remotely. Okay, not not even slightly. Just thought maybe Fleming put it out there. Uh, no, okay, he did. He did not. So Doctor No, again, uh, you know, in quality fairly similar, and that's kind of in the story so far. I'd say, except for Moonraker, where they're v- vastly different. Everything else, even where there's differences, is roughly in line with the quality of its respective movie. Uh, Goldfinger is another difference, though. This is one where this is a good book, but the movie takes the book and does almost everything better. Almost everything better. Uh, and it's 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 surprising because it's very, very similar, but it's these little changes that they make along the way that make the movie so much more special. For example, uh, in the movie, Goldfinger's plot is famously to set up this set off this nuclear bomb, make all the gold radioactive and then increase the value of his own gold. In the book, he somehow thinks he's going to cart it away. 
which if you start to, even by James Bond standards, it's like the logistics of that are just so absurd, it doesn't entirely work. And maybe it would work if, if the movie hadn't come up with such a better solution, but when you've got the movie in the back of your head, it, it just works so much better. Okay. Um, and so every there, there's all these little details throughout Goldfinger that are just a little bit better in the movie, and it takes what's a, a good book and turns it into one of the best Bond adventures of all time. Okay. All right. Number eight, For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, so here's our first short story collection. Oh, okay. And uh, so we start out with a number of short stories, uh, beginning with From a View to a Kill, which has nothing to do with A View to a Kill. Okay. Though, if you watch the end of Octopussy, James Bond will return in From a View to a Kill. That was originally supposed to be the title of the movie. Oh, but beyond that, uh, nothing terribly exciting there. Uh, For Your Eyes Only has a fair amount of similarities to to the movie in that there's the whole plot of the daughter who is the Bond girl in that one. Her parents are murdered uh, by the villain, and she's seeking revenge. And, you know, Roger Moore just gives you chills as he says the Chinese proverb about how if you're going to seek revenge, go first dig two graves. And, you know, that's from the book. And I don't know if it's from an actual Chinese proverb. <laughs> Probably not. But, uh, yeah, so for your eyes only, very similar. And then um, Quantum of Solace hmm. is the next short story. Uh, no similarity except the name. Okay. 100% the name. And uh, interesting, like, is Solace an organization? No. Okay. No. So, well, Quantum is the organization. In Sorry, the movie. that's right. Yes. No, Quantum of Solace. So, Bonds, this book takes place entirely in this club of this guy who's sharing this story of his wife and how he, she was unfaithful and everything. So, Quantum of Solace, the meaning of it is interesting in the story because it, it reach, it's about reaching the point where you, you have complete solace about anything, you, you no longer care about the hurt and the pain of your relationship. You just shut all of that out. Very meaningful idea for Bond. Like, that's mm-hmm. a very Bondian idea. And I think, uh, you know, you wish that they'd been able to maybe play with that a little bit more with the movie because, like, as an epilogue to Casino Royale, mm-hmm. where Bond has opened his heart to somebody and then been brutally hurt, it's just it's a perfect theme. Wow. I You know, as you're saying that, I'm realizing... It's the perfect, yeah. It's a perfect thing to follow that movie with, and then they did nothing with that. But they did exactly. They so did if nothing with it, if you knew the books and you see, oh my goodness, they're doing Quantum of Solace. Yeah, because you you think like, okay, maybe they're they're obviously going to go in a very different place yeah. with the plot because the plot of the story is literally yeah. bonded at a table listening to somebody's domestic. But it might story. have some thematic but elements. The th- exactly, yeah. and they didn't even do that. No. Uh, and I think Daniel Craig just said in the last week here. That uh, like he was addressing some of the problems. Yeah, that's in that documentary I was oh, telling you about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then there's two other stories, and I'll be honest, I I don't even. Oh, uh, Risikio. I don't think I'm pronouncing this otherwise or correctly, but this has uh, also elements for four year eyes only. Um, in that the, you've got the one the the element where the the villain appears to be an ally of Bond, and then. Christatos or whatever the guy's name is, they he's setting him up to take him down, and then they swap places. The guy in the mob who becomes the ally of Bond, and so that's that's where that comes from. So, for your eyes only, the short story and Risicchio are are sort of combined to make for your eyes only, and then the Hildebrand rarity, which I barely even remember, 
um, and has never been adapted in any meaningful form. I know. It's kind of fun, though, that you're giving these short story names, because who knows? Five, ten years from now, Hildebrandt Rarity could That's be true. the next you big think movie. That- now we hit the Thunderball trilogy. So this is where the movies start to be produced. Okay. And the first, or, or not the Thunder, I should say the Spectre trilogy. The first one, of course, is Thunderball. Very, very similar to uh, the movie. And makes sense because he was literally, this is the one that went in the opposite direction. Not, the movie didn't exist first, but the script existed, at least in an initial form. It, it, the, everything about this, I remember the it conversation. a little shady. Yeah, everything's weird here. Yes. And so, very similar idea um, of Spectre is out there. Now, the difference is... This, this is, is the, the underwater adventure, right? Yes, this is the first time we've seen Spectre. They don't literally don't exist in there. They're blackmailing the world. They've got two nuclear bombs. Bond and Felix Leiter track them down in Jamaica. Very, very, very similar to uh, the movie. And, and I will say the book works better in part because, as you know, the underwater scenes don't entirely work in the movie. Um, you know, I was thinking about that. It's like there's been good underwater movies since then. You almost had to like make the crappy version first to figure out how do you do an action scene underwater in a way that's actually exciting. And this, I think, was one of the sacrificial lambs along the path to get there. Because I don't hate Thunderball, but yeah, the the, the underwater scenes just don't work. It's as just action. slow motion, the, isn't it? Yes, they, there's nothing exciting about them because you're watching a fight in slow motion. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, like you think of of movies like uh, Days of Future Past that managed to use slow motion really to their mm-hmm. advantage in an action scene, or The Matrix, of course. So, you know, you've you get another fifty years of movie making, and you you totally have have solved that problem, and well before them. But uh, you somebody had to try the bad version first, yeah. and uh, Thunderball was it. So before we get to the second part of the uh, Spectre trilogy, we have this interesting book interspersed: The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me was trashed when it came to reviews. And Fleming, uh, in his uh, contract with, with Eon Productions, says, told them they could only use the title and nothing else. So nothing from Spy Who Loved Me has ever been adapted. Wow. That, what, what are your thoughts on the book? I mean, if you go in knowing what it is, it's okay. It's not great. Um, so the book, is, the the novel is told from the first person perspective of this woman. Bond doesn't even enter into it until about halfway through the novel, and she, you know, the first half is her backstory. So there's nothing about Bond in that. So Bond in, is the spy who loved her yes. rather than yes. Bond meeting a love interest. Yes. So wait, because is that how you take the movie title? That it can go both ways, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the action picks up about halfway through the book where she's staying at this hotel resort that's being closed down for the season and a pair of thugs invade and there's like this whole plot behind it that's a little bit convoluted. But who should happen upon the resort than this handsome stranger, James Bond? And so, you know, it, like as this very, very different type of novel, it works because it's from her perspective. She has no idea who who he is. Uh, you know, he shows up, saves her life, they fall in love for a night, and then he's gone. And so it's like, it, it works, but it's not a James Bond novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I said that they they weren't allowed to adapt anything. They cheated a little bit. So there's one of the two thugs who shows up is named Mr. Horror. And Mr. Horror has a metal mouth. Oh. 
And okay. so Mr. Horror becomes the inspiration for Jaws. It's okay. not exact, but 100% Jaws came from this book okay. in his infancy. So, so Jaws as a character is not in the books. No. But Mr. Horror yes. was the catalyst for Jaws. Yes. Okay. Yes. They, took, they adapted that character into Jaws. Now, the second two parts of the Spectre trilogy, Honor Majesty's Secret Service and um, You Only Live Twice, here the order of the books is radically different than the movies. So You Only Live Twice comes first in the movies, followed by, and that was, of course, uh, Sean Connery's last Bond before he left the first time. Then George Lazenby comes on for Honor Majesty's Secret Service. This is super significant that they flip them because it plays out wildly different, especially if you remember if, uh, You Only Live Twice is kind of a goofy movie. Like, I really like it. If you if you like kind of the fantasy comical bonds, it's one of the best examples of that. You know, Blofeld's got this volcano layer, you know, layer and everything and, uh, you know, bonds in the little uh, mini plane oh, yeah. and everything. And so it's a very goofy movie from that perspective. Uh, goes undercover as a Japanese man in one of the moments from the series that did not age quite so well. Um, yeah. So, but in the books, Honor Majesty's Secret Service comes first. And Honor Majesty's Secret Service is very, very similar to the movie. You know, same ending. Tracy Bond dies on, on their honeymoon. Um, you know, the whole plot with Blofeld and everything. The main difference is that the catalyst for it is after, uh, Thunderball, Bond has been now searching for Blofeld for like two years on assignment and it hasn't found any trace of him. And then they managed to start to get this lead that takes him to the chalet where he's got his plot with the girls and everything and, and plays out very, very similarly. Phenomenal book, phenomenal movie. Then you get into You Only Live Twice, radically different. The pieces are the same. Bond is in Japan, the character of Tiger Tanaka and everything. But where the movie is this kind of high adventure, almost goofy, comical fantasy Bond, the the book is like this meditation on grief for, for most of it. And, you know, Bond is... It opens with Bond is basically worthless. He's expecting to be fired because in the grief of having Tracy die, he's just fallen to pieces, basically. And as you get it, what what begins to develop is M gives him this mission in Japan really just as like a last chance to do anything. Uh, along the way, then, as he makes connections with this character of Tiger Tanaka, he discovers there there's this this mysterious castle that's being run by this shadowy figure called Dr. Death who is facilitating Japanese suicides and that turns out to be Blofeld of course hmm. so part of what's great though it's like if you think about the ending of Honor Majesty's Secret Service in the movie, you not only have Blofeld there, you have Irma Blunt, who's actually the one who shoots Tracy. So Blofeld's driving and she's shooting the gun. We never see her again in the movies. Such a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, I totally forgot that. Yeah, she's there at the end of uh, You Only Live Twice. All right. And uh, if you recall in the movie, the movie opens with Bond faking his death for the sake of this mission. Okay. No, I, it's funny. They, I... I I did remember liking on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and but yeah, as you're saying that there was that second character, 
I barely remember that, so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and like she's such an important character, especially for who Bond wants revenge on. And Bond never really gets his revenge. It, I mean, he eventually kind of kills Blofeld, but it like the whole memory of Tracy is mentioned a few times, but it's not gone. It's like you get this deep grief mm-hmm. in the in the novel, and then Bond gets his revenge on Blofeld, and you feel it. And he gets his revenge on Irma Bond, and you feel it. It's mm. just phenomenal. So then you only live twice stops referring to Bond faking his death at the beginning of the story, and it then becomes about him reinventing himself at the end of this, because at the very end of the novel, he gets amnesia and begins to live out this second life as a Japanese fisherman. And that's how the book ends? That's how the book ends. Because I thought that maybe, in light of what you're describing, I thought potentially it's his life, in a sense, ended with Tracy's life, and now he... Through the course of the adventure, yeah. finds a way to live on without her, and yes. all of a sudden, that's his second life. And th- that's thematically what it is, but it, it it takes on that literal component, too, just like there is in the movie, but it's completely flipped. So this is the one where, even though there's a lot of similarities, it's just the placement of this book where it is. It's such a tragedy they didn't pull that off with the movies, and that Diamonds Are Forever is not not only doesn't capture that, but it is really a subpar Bond movie because you, you're you missing this whole component that really makes the Spectre trilogy mm-hmm. what it is. And especially these second, second and third books are just phenomenal writing. Yeah, so how do they get from Amnesia to the next book? So, uh, Man with the Golden Gun, this is the last Bond novel. There's a collection of short stories after this. And this one's fairly... Short, and in part because Ian Fleming died after finishing the first draft. So his process was to write a short first draft, have it submitted to his editors, and then go back and, with their help, fill in the details. So it's it's about half the length of a normal Bond novel. It's not very good. I mean, it's for what it is, it's like, and knowing it's the last one, it's enjoyable for that. But on its own, like it, you can definitely tell it's a, a first draft. So in this case, you like this film better. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but the book opens with Bond has been found by the agents by or by the KGB, and he's sent back to M as a Manchurian candidate. Oh, to assassinate him, and so that of course fails, and then Bond gets brought back to normal. His punishment is to go after Scaramanga because M figures, well, he's either going to get killed by Scaramanga, in which case, fine, that's how I deal with him having almost assassinated me, mm-hmm. or. He'll take out Scaramanga, which is good for me as well. Of course, that's eventually what happens. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, then, that's if it, it feels like it. That's a lot fit into what you described as a shorter book than usual. It, it is a lot of yeah. story there. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, the, there's the same amount of story because it's a complete story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have all of the richness of yeah. the details. Okay. So you talk about differences, Octopussy. Um, this is not an innuendo in in the books. This refers to a literal octopus. So, so what's the story? So the, the story is there's this guy um, the, the, who was in the British military during World War II and famously stole or stole some Nazi gold, and he's been hoarding it and hiding out, and the British Secret Service has finally caught up with him, and so Bond shows up, and he's taking care of his uh, octopus, his pet octopus, who he calls Octopussy, and... Bond, you know, shows up basically telling him, uh, I'm here to kill you because you've 
done all of this and you've committed war crimes and all, all of that. And because there's more to it than just the theft of the gold, um, the guy winds up committing suicide at the end of it. So it's very, it's yeah. like wildly different. The connection to the movie, um, and I'm not as familiar with the movie as, as I am others, but the character of Octopussy in the movie, uh, her backstory is that her father was somebody who Bond had been sent to assassinate. Okay. So, like, the yep. idea is that they kind of take that. And then uh, I'm going to skip ahead to the third story in this collection, The Property of a Lady. This has to do with this Fabergé egg, which fills the second plot of Octopussy in the movie. Oh, okay. Um, and they don't meld terribly together mm-hmm. very well in the movie, and that's probably why. Uh, okay, so our last two short stories, The Living Daylights. Uh, Bond does not team up with the Taliban in the short story, but the whole premise of him, like where at the beginning of the movie where he's set up to assassinate this cellist as she's coming out of the orchestra is in there and, and he, you know, he winds up intentionally missing just like he does in the movie. And so that comprises the drama of that short story. And then the last one is 007 in New York. Um, this is a very, very short story. It's like 10 minutes long on the audiobook. And it involves Bond being sent to New York to tell an MI6 employee that her boyfriend is a KGB agent. Hmm. Where where this has been adapted is that the very end of Quantum of Solace is a loose adaptation of this same concept. I'm trying to remember how, how that one ends. Uh, he, he goes to Vesper Lynn's ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. and there's this confrontation okay. there. Okay. Wait, wasn't the ex-boyfriend... No, the ex-boyfriend had been kidnapped, right? Or, I think he was bad. Oh, he was bad. Okay. Yeah, it's so funny. that I, I, We just watched these movies, and I'm, you more recently than me, but it's just been a couple years. And and as you're describing the title and then talking about the differences, some of them I can barely remember. I feel like I'm more familiar with the Daniel Craig ones, but it's kind of nice for you to refresh my memory along the way. Well, it's, it's time to start at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and I've never watched them in chronological order, and I feel like you your should. experience was better because of that. 100%. So I mentioned audiobooks. My recommendation, honestly, the what Audible has is they have this celebrity read series, so different celebrities reading. Mm-hmm. Each of these, like David Tennant reads Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Rosamund Pike reads uh, Spy Who Loved Me, uh, Hugh Bonneville reads one. They, it's this really good collection. And then they have a little interview with them about their experience with Bond, like what they've read and, and experienced. So you have different actors from the series and everything and other famous people. Tom Hiddleston reads uh, the Octopussy Collection. Uh, highly recommended. Okay. They're just phenomenal. Good readers. And, and that's it's a great way to experience Bond. Okay. Yeah, I, I wish that, as with the Sherlock Collection, I wish you could spend a little bit more and just get everything all together in chronological order, but I understand there's some differences right. when it comes to copyright and whatnot. So where do we leave things now? You're off to what's the next era going to be? Well, I think what's next for us is No Time to Die. Oh, that's right. And then um, I need to kind of do a little research on, on the subsequent novels. I know there's the next main writer is John Gardner, who wrote for about 15 years or so. Uh, but there's a few independent ones in between there. So I'll, I'll have to see kind of what those are about and. No, from there. This was good for me. I liked. I enjoyed uh, hearing more about the background of the books because I think you did touch on some of this along the way during the films. But just to kind of do a deep dive there on the books is great. So well, and I had read. You know, I I had only read a handful of the books at the time I finished the movies. So I don't I'm, know. If, 
I don't know if you specifically mentioned this, but as we're closing out here, do you have a top one, two, or three that you want to mention? Uh, top three, I'm going to go with, in no particular order, uh, Moonraker, Casino Royale, and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. All right, everybody. Well, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I am Ben DuPono. We're the Cypher Christians. Signing off. Uh, goodbye. <laughs>